Amen. Well, you're probably not used to having me up here this early in the service. You're probably waiting for the band to come out and, and to sing. But today's message uh, is going to precede the rest of the hour of worship. This is all worship. Uh, really, I think what God has to say to us this morning, I pray uh, the Lord would lay this message on my heart that I could communicate it effectively and, and, and by way of the, the Spirit's leading, would prompt us to respond, prompt us to remember the love we have for Jesus. Prompt us to, to repent, to turn away from those things that have, have taken precedence or position or priority before us and the Lord, and then to revive us. Lord, Lord has, has shown the church through 2,000 years, two millennia of church history, that every revival starts with the church remembering their first love, repenting of the past, and standing up for Jesus. So we're going to have the message now, and then we'll have Rob and the team lead us in a time of response. So with that, would you please stand to honor God's word as Ann Smith comes to read uh, from God's word to us, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Hi, Mom. Hi. My, my mother in love. Here we go. All right. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The word of God. Thanks be God. Thank you. Please be seated. The Roman Empire had their own version of Alcatraz. It was a, a rocky island in the middle of nowhere where they sent their uh, prisoners, political dissidents, to basically rot and die. But there, around 96 AD, John was revived because he had a series of visions, revelations, unveiling of Jesus Christ as he is right now, showing him all the things that had happened, what was about to happen, and what would happen. And that revelation that, that John wrote down was then sent to a series of seven churches and to all the church, and then we have it here with us today. And what a, what a special opportunity we have to stand together to read God's word and to learn from what the Lord would have for us to say today. I think the message today to the church of Ephesus is as relevant as it was then uh, today as it was when it was first delivered. Now, as we look at these seven uh, messages to these seven churches, I want you to take a look back at 
chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. That was the first vision, the first of seven visions that John receives. And that first vision we looked at last week where he sees the risen Lord Jesus. And we looked at all the incredible uh, symbolic, powerful imagery that grabbed hold of our attention of what Jesus looked like and what he was wearing and, and where he was standing. Because those same characteristics and attributes we will see repeated in each of these seven messages to the churches. And you'll see a parallel between the attribute that is recorded and how that attribute or that characteristic really would serve and care for and, and build up the church in that given situation. So let's look at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, each letter is addressed to the angel of that church. The seven stars represent the seven angels. So we have an angel. MVC has an angel fighting the spiritual warfare for us, even as there is an angel in the church in Ephesus. The words of him who hold those seven stars, remember that from last week, in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you look at chapter 1, verse 13, it says that Jesus is standing in the middle of the lampstands. You remember that from last week? We said how Jesus is in the middle. He's with his church. The number seven represents completeness and wholeness. So even as this message goes out to these seven specific churches, it's really for all of the church. In 2,000 years, two millennia of church. So Jesus is with us. But what does he say? He says, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Those lampstands, they represent the church. And what does a lamp do? It, it casts light. It shines out light. It's a witness. It's a brightness in God's presence that's shared. And Jesus is saying, I'm walking among you. I'm seeing what you're doing in terms of sharing the good news with the whole world. Now, verse 2 and 3, and a little bit down in uh, verse 6, Jesus has a series of, of complimentary remarks he wants to make. How many compliments do you have to give to someone before it offsets one negative? Well, what's the ratio? Steve, what's the ratio usually? Like seven to one? Like you just like tear apart a student's person, person, you know, just tear them down seven times, but you can build them up once. Is that how it works? Or no, the opposite. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So here Jesus gives nine compliments, really even a tenth one. And then he has one but. It's a big but. A big concern. But he has nine things he wants to compliment the church in Ephesus for what they're doing right. So let's look at those. Look at verse 2 and following. And just underline as you count out nine different things, positives that Jesus gives. He says, I know you. I know your works he knows all the works that they're doing for the gospel, all the, the good service that they're doing. I know your toil, your patient endurance. You see, the church at Ephesus was a very important church. It was the, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a port city. So this is where the letter from Patmos would first arrive into that port and go to the church in Ephesus and then be circulated around the other six. It was the largest church of the seven churches addressed. And it was the most strategically important church for the witness going out to the Gentile world. It was in Ephesus that Domitian, the, the emperor, had his, his uh, worship cult set up a temple in his honor. And so the believers there were faced with the pressure, daily pressure, to sacrifice and to offer that little incense 
to the emperor right there in Ephesus. It was in Ephesus where the goddess uh, Armidius had this giant uh, uh, temple and where there were priests and priestesses that practiced uh, temple prostitution. It was right there in Ephesus. And so Jesus says, out of the gate, I know you. I know the good works you're doing. I know how you toil. I know how you, you have patient endurance. Keep going. He says, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Underline that. He, they, they know right from wrong. Not just the idea of right and wrong, but about people who are doing right or doing evil. They've tested those that call themselves apostles. This is a church that can identify a fake from the genuine article and call them out. Jesus compliments them for, for being really good stewards of leadership in that church, good shepherds of those who are put in a position of authority. We have our nominating committee right now looking to nominate new leaders uh, to serve our church for the next three years. Jesus would say, I, I, I'm complimenting you that you understand the importance of good Christian leadership. It says, he goes on uh, in verse 3, I know that you are enduring patiently. It's a little bit of a repeat, but he wants to just really reiterate that message. That you're bearing up, but not just for, for any sake, but for my name's sake. This is a group of people in Ephesus who are not ashamed to be called Christian. And Jesus says, I compliment you for that. Good for you. You are standing up. You are enduring. You're standing for the truth in my name, for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. And then if you were to drop down to verse 6, you see that he also compliments them for, for uh, standing against the works of this group, the Nicolaitans. Not the Nickelodeons. That's another group. <laughs> and we'll look at this group in two weeks' time. But this is a group that uh, we think was teaching a certain amount of license to sin. And, they, and Jesus says, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you stand against their works. You hate them. Things that would lead people astray. Jesus hates and He says to the church in Ephesus, good for you. So what grade would the church in Ephesus get? Grades are starting to come out right midway through the semester of students. Straight A's. Straight A's. They're doing a great job. They're working hard. They're being diligent. They're doing the things that we teach about discipleship, about patient endurance. Look at verse 4. But, circle but, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The love, the passion, the zeal for Jesus, he says, you've abandoned it. You've forgotten why you're here. I imagine the people in Ephesus that would stand to hear this word read even as we stood. They hear their, a shout out. They're like, hey, we got first dibs. Hey, we're, we're at the top of the ranking board. Look at all the great things we've done. But I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love. What would be the response? But, but Jesus, look at all the good works we're doing. You've forgotten your first love. But Jesus, we are orthodox. Like we do not mess with the truth. We teach it to our kids. We lead well. We're, we're not watering it down. But you've forgotten your first love. Jesus, I'm missing the game to be here at church. 
The cannons are going to go off. I'll know the score. But you've forgotten what's essential. The love you had at first. See, friends, when we love Jesus, there's a response. And the response always leads to being that lampstand that shines that light, that shares it with the people in the rest of the world. And this was a church so inwardly focused. Their priorities were so right on in terms of purity, in terms of orthodoxy. We know who should be in leadership, who shouldn't, who should be a member or a covenant partner, and who should not. We're willing to pay the price. If it, do you see the, the parallels? Do you see the connection points? And yet the wake-up call to this church, for every church, but do you love me first and foremost? Here's an analogy to try to make sense of this. Cheryl and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. So imagine, this didn't really happen, but imagine I had the great idea of buying Cheryl flowers. It's happened before, but just, just go with me. I, I want to get Cheryl some really nice flowers. So why, what do I do? Get in my car, and I drive to the best flower market in the whole region. I go all the way down to, to Pike's Place, right? I, I do all the traffic and everything. I park. It's just a hassle, but that's okay. I go. I find the most beautiful flowers they have. And they sell for like 20 bucks, right? I'm like, I'll buy $40 worth of these flowers. We'll take care of them carefully, put them in the car, drive back to bring them to Cheryl. Now, she doesn't expect this at all, right? She's not expecting this. Normally, I, I pull the car into the garage and come in through the side door, but not this time. No, I want to do it right. I knock on the front door. She opens the door, and I hold out the flowers. Perfect bouquet. What's her response, ladies? Oh, honey, you shouldn't have this. This is such a wonderful surprise. And guys, what do I say? Well... It's my duty as your husband of 25 years. <laughs> I know it's not exactly a written contract, but I'm bound to determine. Let's go through the motions, and here you go. What happens when the passion begins to fade as we sing? And when a couple can go from passionate lovers and best friends to roommates? What happens? You forget that love you had at first. Now imagine another scenario, maybe a little bit more on the nose, a little bit more. <laughs> I think about getting Cheryl flowers, and I think I've got a lot going on today. Okay, what's the best place? Should it be QFC, Fred Meyer, or Safeway? Mm, that's a tough one. I don't know. Uh, okay, I'll go Fred Meyer. And I, I, I buy some flowers. I, I, I pick out decent flowers, but I forget to remove the $9.99 tag. And I... <laughs> I put them in the back seat, and, and the 2% milk fell over and crushed one of the flowers. Because I'm not really paying attention, but I'm excited to get them home for Cheryl. And I, okay, I didn't put them in water, but that's, I had a couple of errands to run. But I finally get home, and I'm going to knock on the front door to surprise her. And she opens the door, and she says, what, what a surprise. And I hold out these less-than-perfect flowers. And I, she says, well, what's this? And I say, I just, 
I just love you so much. I, I'll do anything for you. I just wanted to give you something. I was thinking about you all day. Ladies, what would be her response to those flowers? <laughs> Guys, by the way, a little closer. It's a little plug for our perfect flowers. Perfect, dutiful flowers. The perfect thing that I sacrificed money and time to bring this gift. And what was her response? There's no love. And so this church in Ephesus was, was right there. They had everything going for them except what was essential. They had abandoned their first love. The love of Jesus burning bright in your heart, pumping your heart with new blood, will move you to action. Now, Jesus gives them an action. He lays that on them, but then he gives them some, some direction. Look at verse 5. He doesn't just lay that heavy burden on them, and we're going to see the heavy burden and, and the warning of judgment throughout uh, much of Revelation. It's, it's for the church first than it before anyone else. He gives them a way out. Look at verse 5, and this is the three points, a three-point message, Pastor Frank. <laughs> Remember, therefore, where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So first, he says, remember. Remember. Remember where you came from. The Apostle Paul thought the church in Ephesus was so important, and we've studied it. He, he stayed there for a couple of years working and investing. He wrote letters that left from Ephesus. He was in Corinth, and he wrote a, a letter to the church in Ephesus. He wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, if you're taking notes. And he says, Speak the truth in love. We will, speaking the truth in love, he's saying we're doing this. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He's saying this is happening. He's speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. But they've forgotten that. They had forgotten how essential that part was to being the body of Christ with the head of the, of the church being Christ. How do we find that balance of speaking truth, standing for what's true, with all the pressure, with all the paganism of that time and all the idolatry of our own time, but do it in love? We have to remember. We have to go back. He says, remember. Second, he says, repent. Repent. That, that means change your mind, turn around, do a 180. Now remember the very reason why Jesus came, at 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved. If you have a message that just says, so just love people, like I'm just going to guilt you into doing more, church, you're just not doing enough. That's called moralism. That's a burden you're not meant to carry. If I just came here and just made you feel guilty, like, so just give a lot more when the offering comes. Well, that's not a bad idea, and just leave it at that. That is not gospel preaching, my friends. Laying a guilt trip on you is not gospel preaching. And that is not true repentance. Just to say, just love God more. The gospel is, the very reason Christ came to earth was because no one could love God enough. No one could do it. Only he could fulfill the great commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our... Only he could show us the way and give us the grace to do it. We need to repent. 
of building up our good works and all the things we've done uh, for Jesus as if it's some kind of list of rewards in heaven. And the Bible says they're worthless. He doesn't want any of that. He wants you. He wants your heart. We're to repent. We're to remember. And then finally, I wrote revive. You could write redo, return. But I wrote revive because, as I said earlier, every revival in the church has begun with confession and returning to these gospel central truths. So something in us needs to be revived. It needs to be called forth. And I pray that God does that as he's done it again and again here in this hour. Remember, repent, revive. You know, I wasn't going to mention this, but I will anyway. There's a syndrome that medical students face that my brothers, who are both doctors, told me about once, and I looked it up, and it's a real thing. It's called medical student syndrome. Has anyone ever heard of this? It's when you're studying medicine, whether you're a doctor or a nurse, what have you, you're studying various diseases, you start to imagine, as you have to study and memorize all these symptoms, oh my gosh, I think I have a fever. Oh my, I think I have whatever this, right? Right? That's what's going to happen. Just prepare yourself as we go through this series of seven messages. Is Pastor Pete saying that we don't love enough? Are we, are, are we too focused internally and not enough externally? I'll say for myself, that's true. Only you can answer for yourself. Small group leaders, only you can answer for yourself. Do you meet regularly with your Bible study, but not ever do any form of service? Only you can answer for yourself. I can answer for myself. I can answer for myself that in the year and a half that I've been here, I've done about this much evangelizing and witnessing to my neighbors and neighborhood. When the passion and zeal that I first experienced when I got saved, I was boldless. I, 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 would just, I was so bold, I, I mean to say. I would just go out and share with, with uh, classmates about Jesus. And the most I've mustered up on my block, hi. Oh, yeah, I'm the pastor. Yeah. You want to come at Christmas time or Easter? We need to remember how good he's been to us. And we need as a church to repent in any ways that we have set ourselves against others to say, well, we've got it all right like the church in Ephesus, and yet we're not doing enough out in the, in the world. Only the Holy Spirit can truly revive. Only the Holy Spirit can make our hearts beat. Jesus lays that out, and then he tells them, what the consequences are if they don't do it. Look at the second half of verse 5. If not, if you don't do this, I will come to you and remove your what? Lampstand from its place unless you repent. What he's saying is, if you do not get your act together, church, and put my love for you first and foremost in your heart, I'm going to remove the lamps. I'm going to remove you, your witness to the world because you're not witnessing to the world. That, that spiritual power, the very lifeblood of Christ that shines out through us would be removed. You know what that's saying? As this was written 2,000 years ago, it says to me, Jesus has done this many, many, many times. 
until his final coming. We don't want to be a church like this or a denomination like this or people like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then the word of promise. A word of encouragement, as we're going to see in chapter 4 and 5, when John has the second vision, a vision of heaven. A word of warning of judgment, chapter 6, basically through 19, of all the judgment that's coming. And then word of the promise of heaven and earth coming that we'll see in chapter 21 and 20 to 22. And see how this ties the whole Bible together. To the one who conquers, who has victory, who takes a stand, who puts this right, who speaks the truth in love, I will grant you eat from the tree of life. Where do we first see that? In the garden, in Genesis. And here it is again, a promise. And where will we see it for the final time? In Revelation 22, all ties together to return, to remember, to repent. Let's pray, and let's begin that work even now as Rob and team come to lead us in worship. As we take a moment to pray, we're going to continue in worship with the offering as, as a form of our worship. We'll invite the ushers to come forward. Well, Lord, your word says to us that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Help us to remember that, Lord. The opportunity that we have even now to, to give back a portion of, uh, of the blessing that you've given to us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it and use it for your good purposes and give our, our elders uh, wisdom to invest it wisely. We pray, oh God, that we, we would remember that we would remember to speak the truth in love. That we would remember the priorities of things. We allow other things to become more important. And when that happens, Lord, coming to church can just become a duty. Just going through the motions. Just one of the things that we're taught to do. I know there's a reason why, uh, Father, you you communicated to us through uh, your, your prophets that your relationship to true Israel was like a husband to his bride and that you're calling her back to you, oh God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would remember that we're not your buddies. We're not your roommates. We are your lovers. We want to be passionate followers of you. So God, may we do that even now by the work of your spirit. And all God's children said, amen. Amen.